Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in our our last uh, sermon of our Good Church series. Last sermon of our Good Church series. This has been an eight-week series. Uh, So you guys made it. Congratulations. Eight weeks of Tove. We did it. Um, now we get to actually be Tove after this. And so now that you know it, now you have to, to be it. So now uh, everything's on now. But really, the, the vision behind this series is for our church to be intentional with how we form a community that pursues God's goodness. And in, in 2024, that is really the, the vision and moving forward is how do we be a church that pursues a healthy culture that pursues God's goodness, that has sustainability where we can build a foundation for future generations to, to see God's goodness developed as we, as we start. And so health and sustainability is kind of the vision for this series and how we move forward as a, as a church. And, and as we looked at this series, we looked at things that we would resist and things that we would value. You know, I have a, a confession to make when I was sitting in my office this week it was cold, it was snowy, you know, Spotify was on my computer, and the temptation to type in Christmas music was there. I resisted, though. I resisted. I'm not as good as Sherry. I can't, I can't embrace it yet. But uh, it is, it's, it's there, right? And so as we, as we think about things to resist, we must also think about things that we, we value. And so for the last eight weeks, we've been looking at things we need to resist as a culture and things we need to value as a culture. So let me read off the last few that we've done, and then we're going to talk about the last one today. But just follow along with me as I read these. The first one was we resist narcissism and value Empathy. Right? The, the, the art of listening and the art of meeting somebody where they are and being compassionate. We resist false narratives and value truth. We submit ourselves to truth. We submit ourselves to truth. We, we are a culture that is built on confession and repentance. And we see those things not as things to, to run away from, but to embrace. That we, we look forward to confessing the things we've done, the, the submission to truth, as well as the opportunity to change, the opportunity to change direction. Third one is we resist power by fear and value grace. We leave space for grace within our community, right? We leave space for grace, for God's goodness to come and meet us in our brokenness, in our, in our hurts, in our sin. We leave space for grace. The next one was we resist institution creep and value people first culture. We, we do not want to try to build a, an organization or an institution that we call church. Our church is really more of an organism. It's a living, breathing, people-filled thing. Right? And so we must be people first rather than institution first, which means we choose to serve people rather than corporations or the church or the 501c3 nonprofit real life church Pullman. Right? We are made up of people, not institutions. We resist loyalty culture and value justice. So when it comes down to how we make decisions, we choose to do the right thing. Justice is doing the right thing. We resist celebrity culture and value service. This is what we looked at last week. So often in churches, it's easy to build up celebrities and to put them in pedest- on pedestals and say, this is, this is the face of the church, the face of the community. 
but that totally goes against everything that Jesus did and the person who came and actually submitted himself toward his people, served his people for the sake of his, their people. And so we are a people who serve one another, not lift each other up on pedestals, but actually come underneath one another to build each other up. And then this week, the last one puts everything together. So everything we've talked about comes and culminates in this week, which is that we resist leader-centric culture and value Christ-likeness. We resist leader-centric culture and value Christ-likeness. Now, we talked about tov. Tov is the Hebrew word for good, and we talked a little bit about ra or rasha. This is the Hebrew word for bad or wicked. And we looked at tov as being in healthy and good, Seeing God's goodness is tov. God is tov, for example. And ra, rasha, being wicked or, or toxic. And the way of tov is not easy. It's not easy, but it's good. You know, and I think that's something we all need to count the cost here a little bit, is as a community, as a, as a one unified people, are we willing to do the more difficult thing, which is to rely on God to build tov? Because it's really easy to want to try to control Tov. Really easy to try to program Tov. Really easy to try to, to make Tov into something that is done by human hands. But it's something that comes out of a dependency of God. A dependency of God. And therefore, it is not easy. You know, a good line that I read this week was, when your struggle becomes the path to freedom, it becomes joy. When the struggle becomes the path to freedom, it becomes joy. And, and I think the, the group of people, the communities that, sees, that sees God's goodness seen in Tove and pushes through and, and values it and decides we're going to make decisions based off God's goodness, whether that be good or hard or difficult or messy, I think it really does become joy at the end of the day. When we see God's goodness revealed in the community by the way that we live our lives, by the way we make decisions, it becomes a joy for the community throughout the community with a church and community that we serve, saying in Pullman. And we must also remember the simple truth. The simple truth of Tove is this, that we are living out God's goodness as a result of people who are close to Jesus. This is the reality of Tove, is that when we are close to Jesus, when we decide we are going to pursue a, a relationship that is close to Jesus, Tove is a byproduct. Tov is a byproduct of the closeness that we are to Jesus. So when people answer the call to follow Christ, Tov is often accessible. It's whether we value it. Do we value God's goodness? Do we value it? Do we pursue it? Do we nurture it within our communities? Another good line that I read this week was, if God has called you to walk a difficult path, he will sustain you on it. If God is to call you to walk on a difficult path, he will sustain you on it. And, and I thought that was an interesting line because I think when we hear the word call or the meaning of what it means to be called, we often think of what? what is it, when you hear the word someone is called to do something, what do you think? Ministry? Pastoring? Service? What about leadership? Called to be a leader? think a few of those. All of those, I think, are, are right. We, we are trained to think a certain way about the idea of being called. And when I read this line, if God has called you to work a difficult path, I was like, I think we're all called to walk a difficult path. I don't think it's an if we're called, it's when we're called 
to walk a difficult path. He will sustain us. And as we think about pursuing Tov past these eight weeks and into the culture of who we are, we must remember that when we cross and called into the difficult paths, he will sustain you on it. And when you look at the New Testament, the meaning of called is really interesting because as we think about called, we're called into ministry, we're called into pastoring, we're called into leadership, we're called to be you know, missionaries, whatever. We think of kind of these roles or positions to be called into. But we don't really read that in the New Testament. When Jesus is, is calling his people, he's calling them into relationship with him, isn't he? It's not into a particular role or position. It's kind of our own Christianese way of saying, hey, you're called into something of a role. But really, Jesus is saying his calling is never to lead. It is always to follow. Jesus' call to us is not to be leader-centric, but to be in fellowship. How do we be followers? When you think about what it means to be a missionary, a pastor, or even a, a leader, like we looked at last week and the idea of a servant leader, these are all people who are not leading by themselves, that they are actually following someone greater than them. And what happens, I think, in leader-centric cultures is that we look to our, our leaders as people who are going to be the spiritual guides. All right, what is the answer to this? How do we think about this? What should we do about this? And we start to look at leaders as kind of the means to an end and not realizing that we are not called to be leaders, but we are called to be followers, And the best leaders that I have ever met in the church are people who follow first before leading. Those are the best leaders that I've ever met in the church where they recognize that they are followers more than they are leaders. When you think about what it means to be a missionary or a pastor, for example, you know, pastor has been put on the stage and said, this is a leadership position. You know, I've always felt a little uncomfortable with that. One, I'd never felt like I was this strong leader never fit that mold. I'm kind of, I feel a lot more comfortable sitting in a group of people like, hey, let's just make this discussion and make this, uh, let's just do this together. Let's do life together. That's been more my mantra of life. How do we do this together? Never felt this strong call into leadership. And what I've seen really is this idea of pastoring that has become more about your leadership skill set than it is actually what it means to be a pastor or a shepherd. And, and I think that has done some, some damage over the culture of our church for a while because people feel called to be a leader in the church, called to be leaders when really what we need are people who are following in the gifts that God has given them to be pastors or shepherds or missionaries. Like that, that, that call never goes away even if you're called into leadership. Nowhere in the New Testament does the Lord call us into leadership. Instead, he says, Follow me, right? Follow me. Follow me. We need to bring back a, a calling and, we're, and, and kind of the way we think about calling, not to be these positions or roles within the church, but really that we are called to the, the way it was always meant to be understood, which we are called to be followers. We are called to be followers. We've been called to walk a difficult path, that's true. The way of Jesus is not an easy walk to walk. You think about the things that Jesus went through, the the types of experiences he went through, and the more you walk with Jesus, the more you start to relate to the things he went through. You start to handle some of the rejection. 
You start to see how that affects you. You start to see the temptations like in the wilderness. You, you see the things that Jesus walked through and you go, boy, I'm starting to relate to a lot of these the closer I get to him and the more I follow him. And so this is something that we should be aware of. Because a difficult path is hard, but because we've been called to follow Jesus, he will sustain us. So let's talk more about the dangers of a leader-centric culture. Now that we understand calling means fellowship, let's talk about the dangers of a leader-centric culture. Because the church does just go anti-leadership here and, and go that direction. The, the Bible does have people called prohistomy. It's this idea of, of standing in the front, people who stand in the front. You know, we are anti-leader here, but again, followers is the call. And what happened in the Bible and Paul's day was divisions and rivalries began to occur because of a leader-centric culture. So just like a lot of us today, a lot of times we have our, our favorite people or a leader that we like, and so we say, hey, I follow this person or that person. Or we might even use the same language today as we follow this particular podcast or we follow this particular thing. It ties a little bit into celebrity culture that we talked about last week. And the Corinthian church had the same issue. The Corinthian church had the same issue, and so Paul actually has to address this in 1 Corinthians 1, 12-13. He says this to him. He says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So this is what happens in leader-centric cultures, is we put leaders, again, in the center piece of the church. We orient ourselves around these particular leaders. And we do it based off of giftings and talents usually, right? So you look at these people. Paul, fantastic teacher, right? We read his stuff still. I'm a big fan of his stuff, right? Apollos was a a great Hebrew teacher as well. Some say he was even better of a, a speaker than Paul or any of the apostles where he was a very educated man. Cephas, that's Peter, right? Of course, Peter was one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Of course, you're like, yes, let's, let's follow Peter. He, he saw all the things that we're learning about. And then, of course, you have others that were like, um, I follow Christ, right? Like, no one knows how to answer that question of who do you follow. So Paul is, is making an example here is that these types of ideas, these leader-centric types of, of cultures, tend to be more divisive. They tend to have more of a rivalry between the two. Well, I listen to this person. I listen to this person. Well, this person says this. I listen to this. And there starts to be a bit of a, a bash here. The Corinthians argued and rivaled about who they followed within the church. So they were leader-centric. They oriented themselves around particular leaders following them. And this is something that we need to be aware of and to resist. Now, you can enjoy teachings by people. There's a lot of people that I enjoy teaching. I have my favorite teachers that I enjoy listening to. But when it becomes our, our orientation to only follow this particular person, when we don't have the, the idea of being able to, to take a lot of information and critically think about it and make decisions based off of what it's like, what does Jesus say about these things? We start to orient ourselves around people rather than Jesus. You know, we do this in really subtle ways. Like, for example, someone might say, well... I only come to church when Corbin speaks. He's my favorite teacher. I'm only going to come to church when he speaks. Right? This would be a, a, a symptom of a leadership-oriented type of culture where you're going, I, I really only like this person, so therefore I'm going to pick and choose when I follow and when I don't follow. Did you guys get all really uncomfortable when I said that? There was some, some squirming going on in here when I did that. You know, churches can often rise and fall by the death of a pastor. 
You know, that was, that was my experience, right? What, what launched me into uh, ministry was actually the passing of my senior pastor back in, what was that, 2016? And so we had a, a large church in Utah, probably a little over 600 people, which in Utah was like a mega church, right? And really charismatic, really passionate pastor named Pastor Eric, really great guy, did a lot of great things in my life for sure. But as soon as he, he passed away, he had a heart aneurysm and was gone just like that. One day there, one day gone. The church went from over 600 to about 250 people, it seemed like almost overnight. Because we had oriented ourselves, what we didn't realize, we were oriented ourselves around a charismatic leader. We oriented ourselves around a charismatic personality, and people liked that. And as soon as he wasn't there, the community began to fade away. Right? And so these are, these are really subtle ways, but ways that you'll see are leader-centric and can be not productive for the health and sustainability of a community, that we must not orient ourselves around leaders. And you think all the way back into the 80s and 90s, how many of you guys were around the 80s and 90s? I was one in 89, me and T. T Swift, all right? There was a shift that happened in the church in the 80s and 90s. There was a shift that happened in the church where leadership became one of the most important things within the body of Christ. We we started to pursue it. In fact, we take shepherds, we took disciples, we took uh, missionaries, we took evangelists, and we started to put them through leadership programs. Right? And again, I, I love good leadership programs. Right? I think pastors should be good leaders. I think we should have good leaders within the church. But what happened is we put leadership as kind of the top tier value within our pastors, missionaries, our servants. Where how do we make them good leaders? And we were taking things out of the secular world again, which isn't bad. I learned a lot in corporate America about how to be a good leader. But we took those things and we said, this is what a pastor is. This is what a missionary is. This is what a good leader is. And we made leadership the orientation of how we orient ourselves in the community of of God. And young future pastors like myself and my generation, a lot of us grew up trying to be leaders rather than we were trying to be shepherds. We were trying to be people who could lead in a way that was what corporate America wanted us to lead like rather than seeing how shepherds led how pastors led, how Jesus led, which was very different than a lot of us were being trained to do. In fact, that was a big discussion in a lot of my seminary classes was was more around how we be leaders rather than how we be shepherds. Because we think, I think we have a lot of shepherds in this church but that who do not want to be leaders. And that is okay. That's a good thing. We need that. Great shepherds were dissuaded, I think, because they didn't feel like they could be good leaders. And I think that was a problem when the leadership craze in its full brunt in the 90s was happening. Here's what uh, Dr. Scott McKnight said about this. He says, when a young person, male or female, wants to become a leader or an influencer, another term being bandied about today in the church, it connotes a self-centered emphasis on that person's role and identity. Choosing to label oneself as a leader creates a certain expectation or a job description and a measure of achievement and accomplishment. So this is what happens when we, we take a leader-centric culture and we try to form our leaders and pastors into something like this. You know, Again, we were told as kids, if you want to do great things in the church, don't be a follower, be a leader. Right? Going against the exact call of what Jesus has called us to be, which we're followers first. 
Again, Jesus never called people to be leaders. He called people to be followers. In fact, I found a word cloud that I want to show you. It's the leader versus pastor word cloud. I want to just look at the stark differences here. So let's put up the leadership one first. Some of these things are good things, right? I would say a lot of these things are good things, right? Development, belief, responsibility, right? There's a lot of good words up here. Some of the bigger words, though, power, function, vision. I mean, that's a big one. I was told all my life, you have to have vision to be a leader. And I'm always like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. So, <laughs> you know, we have a certain set. This is the skill set of, of leadership in our world in which I think a lot of our churches and things have said, hey, this is what we want in a leader, a pastor, an elder, whatever that might look like. But if you take Zechariah 11 and do a word cloud on what it means to be a shepherd, let's see what that one is. It's a little bit different. We have a word cloud that has more about shepherding, God-centered, flock, people, you know, this idea of, of, of shepherding and leadership are very different ideas. Yeah, there's, there's crossover here, right? We still see things like vision. We still see things that are important parts of pastoring, which is having a leadership component. But I think the important thing to see here is that they are two very different ideas. Pastoring is not always leadership. And leadership is not always pastoring. I think a lot of times, too, we see a lot of burnout within the church because we have confused these two ideas. In fact, one statistic is pretty jarring that 1,700 pastors quit each month due to the fact they tried to be leaders before they were pastors because the job description was just too much. It was too much to try to do. One, I think Pete Scazzaro said that a lot of pastors, it's um, about 50 job descriptions in one which it's laughable, right? Who could do that? Nobody can do that. Nobody should be able to do that. So rather than orienting ourselves around leaders, pastors even, don't orient your, your life around me. I could be gone tomorrow, right? Don't, don't build a, a culture around a particular person or a particular leader. Again, I don't know what tomorrow brings. Rather, we need to orient ourselves around the good shepherd, the one who demonstrated what it means to pastor, the one who said to follow him who was unchanging, who was constant and eternal. Leadership-centric cultures tend to orient themselves around a leader who has a lot of flaws, who is a sinner just like the rest of us, and we try to say, hey, as long as this leader does well, as long as this leader does okay, the church community will be okay, but as soon as that person fails, as soon as that person passes away, whatever it might look like, the community suffers and the community starts to fall apart. And if we want to be a sustainable future generational church, we have to orient ourselves around the unchanging, constant, eternal Jesus Christ more than we do leaders. You know, we do need disciples. We need people who are willing to walk with people and lead people, but it's always leading people to Christ. That is the, the job of a disciple, is never to lead them into Whatever that might be, it is always to point them to Christ. We follow him and we lead people to him. So that brings us into Christ-likeness. You know, the whole Good Church series has one purpose. The whole purpose of the last few weeks has been this, to point us to following Christ because he is God revealed and God is always tov. You know, it's interesting that 
you know, when you study Tob and you think about what God's goodness is, if you ever just sit down and go, how do I study God's goodness? There is a, a, a part of humanity that soul craves God's goodness. I think as you have gone through this series, you've looked at things and went, yes, right on. Yeah, we, we hate narcissism. We love empathy. Yes, right on. Because there is something in your soul that craves the goodness of God, his compassion, his love his servant heart, all the things that we've talked about are these things that the human soul craves as image bearers. I mean, you can sit down with an atheist, an agnostic, whatever that might be, and you might explain to them, hey, here's the series we just went through, the good church. And they might go, wow, that sounds great. And you know what they're saying is, wow, that God sounds great. Because everything we've talked about with Tove is a character of who God is. Right? We are resisting the, the human sickness in the, in the brokenness with the things that we're resisting and we are embracing and valuing the things that are actually of God. The people of God reflecting God's goodness out into the world. I always found that really interesting when I was talking to people who weren't believers because they can look at this and go, yes, this is what I want. Because it's embedded into their souls as humans, as humans to say that this is something they want because I think humanity deep down in our core wants a relationship with God. We just have filled with, with all these other things that hinder people from coming to him. They recognize even subconsciously that God is good and that these human desires are not good. These things that are of God are what brings transformation to a people's lives through the Holy Spirit. And following Christ is good, just like Tove is good, but again, it's not easy. How many of you were sold a bill of goods that following Jesus was going to be easy? Good. That's good. I've, a lot of people raised their hands on that one, so that's good. Following Christ is good, but not easy. Look at Matthew 16, 24 through 26. He says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anybody wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what would, will anyone give in exchange for his life? You know, the way of Tove is not a white knuckling, we're going to choose to do the good things over and over again. The way of Tove, honestly, is taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's choosing to sacrifice things that might be important to you for the sake of someone next to you. It's choosing to, to serve and come underneath somebody who may have even hurt you in the past. It's choosing to be confession, to have confession with people where you're talking about the things you've done and submitting to the truth and reality of what has occurred and actually working through the hardship of changing in repentance. This is why Tove is both a beautiful idea and horrifying at the same time. Because it puts us in a place where we have to have an action. We have to move. We have to make choices. We have to do things that are uncomfortable. And Jesus calls it, says the best. He says, you must count the cost. You know, before we as a community say, yes, we're going to pursue the good church. We're going to be the, the, the Tove church. That's what we want to be. Count the cost first. Because it is, it's costly. 
The life of a servant is not easy. The life of carrying the cross and following Jesus is not an easy life to walk. It takes courage. It takes boldness. It takes accountability with one another. It takes community to do it. It takes people, being with people, listening to other people, speak, letting them speak into your life, saying the hard things to you sometimes in order for you to, to see God's goodness revealed in it. I think this is why we like rules and we like religion and we have turned a lot of things, especially in leadership-centric cultures, into a meritocracy. Hey, just tell me the things I need to do to be okay, right? We've, we've taken tithing, for example, and we've made it a subscription fee, right? Pay your 10% and you'll be fine, right? And people like that. You're like, great, right? But then God calls us into this like generosity thing and we're like, ooh, you know, I don't know if I can really go that far with it. Can I just give my 10% and be on my way? Right? There's a deeper level here that we must do. We must kind of get away from these ideas of rules and what we may even call some of what religion and meritocracy and go into this idea of how do we just do the good thing, the right thing, the just thing. How do we just live out tov? Because Christ-likeness is when we focus on following Christ and Christ alone as our model and leader. And Christ-likeness is the core identity of every Christian. Every person who has put their faith in Christ has now been called to follow in Christ-likeness. To pursue Tov has been the call ever since you put your faith in Christ. And again, I ask, are we willing to count the cost in pursuing Tov? Are we willing to count the cost of what it will be to take up the cross as a community for the sake of each other, for the sake of our faith in Christ, for the sake of the city of Pullman and the areas around us? Or will there be a community who says that they will choose the good, the, choose God's goodness? Because again, we are called to a difficult path, but as the quote was said above, we, he will sustain us. And as I kind of start going into the, the ending here, I want to talk a little bit about what church really is. And there's a great quote here, and I'll just read it for you about what church is. I thought it was, it was awesome. It says, a church is not a business. It isn't producing a product, and it doesn't gauge success based on measurables. A church is a local community of believers who are striving to be like Christ, both as a congregation and as individuals. Churches don't function based on hierarchies and reporting relationships. They function based on interdependence of gifted individuals working together to honor, worship, and serve God under the exclusive headship of Jesus Christ and empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is what church is. You know, we've talked a lot about church over the last eight weeks, but I think that is a great quote that captures exactly what we're trying to develop here that will build a foundation for years to come. So how do we transform our culture into Christ-likeness? How do we transform our culture into Christ-likeness? The first one is Tov is the mission. Goodness is the mission. We are characterized by how we work together to live like Jesus and invite people to follow Jesus with us. So how do we invite people into God's goodness? Right? Again, the human soul craves this. How do we invite them into it? How do we be those people that attracts those types of, of humans that are craving God's goodness and they want to see it revealed in this world? The second one is we create open space for God's spirit. He works creatively through all of us. 
I think this is one of my favorite things about being in community is just how God speaks to all of you. And I get the honor and privilege of being able to listen to it, to see the ideas and things that he has put on your heart. You know, again, Tove is not going to be programmed into the church. We can't program Tove as much as we want to. Right? If we do these three programs, Tove will just happen. Okay, that's, that's not how this works. We can't govern Tove. I can't sit here and try to say, right, let's govern God's goodness. It must be free to exist among us. It must be free to exist among us. It must be a, a, a community of value that we look at and go, how do we choose what is God's goodness? How would he decide in this moment how we should act? The third one is it tove roots among us. It, it takes root among us. It's a part of who we are as a people. Individually and collectively, we value it. Keeping each other accountable and in, intentionally discipling us, each other towards God's goodness. And also being very receptive to the things that we must resist. So there are times where you're going to see me say something or do something, you're going to be like, hey, that was something we probably should resist. And I need to be open and go, you're right, I don't know why I said that. Or I don't know why I did that. We must all have that kind of an, op- an ability to, to observe the actions and understand that we are taking root among, that Tove is taking root among us, and we must intentionally be there for one another as we talk about it. The fourth one is we must dwell in the word. Okay, this, this beautiful book called the Bible gives us a, a lot of accounts of God's Tove. His goodness is seen from the first page through the last page. Right? It's, it could almost say the entire book is talking about God's goodness in one way or another. So we are led to Tov by God leading us as we routinely spend time in his word. And the fifth one is we pursue Tov together. God's goodness is always revealed in community. I think that's important. That God has chosen us a people to reveal his goodness from. First Israel and now the church. That the church is the manifold wisdom of God revealed to the world. And so as a people, we must take this seriously, right? When, when it says that God chose to reveal himself through his people, that we must take this seriously. And so we do this together. We work inter- interdependently upon one another in our giftings and our skill sets and our talents to make sure God's goodness is there and available for people. So Tov is the mission. We create open space for God's spirit. Tove roots among us. We dwell in the word and we pursue Tove together. Let me end with this. The good tree. You know, at this point, it's a time. It's time for people to say enough is enough to the things that we talked about as far as resisting. You know, I think we've all had situations and experiences uh, throughout the last eight weeks where we resonated with something that we, we know is bad or raw within the things that we were resisting, all the things that we listed before. And now I really want to spend this time just in a, in a kind of Christianese word, just commissioning you guys, commissioning us as a people that we are going to say yes to God's goodness. That today starts a, a new day, a new season for Real Life Church Pullman in the sense that we are moving forward when it comes to how we make decisions, how we live our lives, how we have a, a culture that pursues God's goodness that roots deep inside of who we are. And this is what Jesus says will be the result of things that are good. 
He says a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bamboo bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So what do we desire? We all have experiences of Rav, Rasha, and we hopefully have seen also experiences of Tov, of God's goodness. And so from our hearts, from our desires of seeing God's goodness revealed, I pray that real life church becomes a good tree that bears good fruit, that not only can help be a healthy place for people walking in our doors to see God's goodness revealed, but that places like Pullman and Colfax and Palouse and all the areas around here, the college at WSU gets to see a glimpse of God's goodness anytime they interact with us. The decisions we make and the things that we, how we conduct ourselves and how we value things and people will be seen through God's goodness. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.